As it turns out, it is ambiguous whether or not it's good to make the biggest comeback of all time. We'll talk about Kirk Cousins and Ed Donatel's changes to the defense here on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You like that? Three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. You can also find this show on Amazon Fire or Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise, this game is the game for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app stores. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, in the game. Today, I, there's two things on the show that I want to get into. One is, it feels like Kirk Cousins isn't getting a lot of credit for doing what he did on Saturday in Saturday's game. And two is uh, answers to Ed Donatel. Did he change the defense? Uh, short answer. Yes. Was it good? Also short answer. Yes. I'll go into that. Um, and then there's some other stuff from yesterday's show that I want to sort of circle around to, but let me start with the Kirk thing. Um, it's a weird week with cousins. <laughs> Because the game that he had, like what happened in the game was incredibly spectacular. And I've seen the take that's like, hey, what the Vikings did was awesome. Nobody's ever done that. Why were they in that hole in the first place? You know, why did they fall down 33 points to a four win team? Um, and also stuff about how Cousins is, you know, his QBR is 33. He had a PFF grade that was like a 55 or something, which I think is below average for them. What's up with that? You know, what gives? How can you do something so good? Have some, you know, 400 yards, four touchdowns. How can that happen? But then all this other stuff says he's actually was just kind of like not that good, right? And I have a very long Patreon video about it. Patreon.com slash NFL. It's an hour long going over a whole bunch of clips, showing stuff that Kirk did and explaining and, and talking about it. But I'll give you the short version here. Those metrics are trained on measurable things about the play, right? How many yards did it get? Okay, we know that. Where was the closest defender? We have tracking data. We know that, right? Was there, was there a tight window or not? We know that that is measurable. You can pause the thing and say there's two yards between that, right? We've got data. What it doesn't have, you know, the dots or things like uh, depth of target charting. How was his footwork? Uh, you know, was that ball in rhythm or was there something that took it, made it take a little longer than it usually does? We'd have time to throw, but we don't have what the time to throw of a concept was supposed to be. So was it on time or not? I think the w best way for me to describe Cousins's game is that Execution was really clean for a lot of it. Stuff that went wrong in the first half was uh, varying degrees of his fault, and we don't need to go play-by-play -play on it. But 
Execution was very clean. The footwork was very clean. The ball was out. The ball went to where it needed to go quickly. Um, everything was very easy. That's really the takeaway. Stuff was easy. And Cousins owns the level of difficulty as much as I think any player does. Um, and, and the scheme and stuff like, I think that all contributes to the level of difficulty. I talk about this all the time. If you want to watch a quarterback make life hard on himself, watch Justin Fields. He makes life hard on himself. Protection calls are wrong. He holds the ball. He runs it around. He, he bails on pocket. He makes his life a lot harder than it has to be. And then he'll make really cool plays. You go, Oh my God, look at all that stuff. He overcame when he brought that on himself in the first place. Right. Um, kind of the microcosm of why were you in that 33 point hole? You know, oh, well, why were you still holding the ball with four seconds left? So your O-line couldn't protect and cousins did the opposite. Cousins made his own life easy by getting the ball out on time, by being decisive, um, by being kind to himself with his reads. You know, he wasn't forcing himself to make insane throws, um, you know, finding what was easy, finding what was routine and finding a way to make that. Like that's step one. And he's always been pretty good at, you know, finding the completion, right? Sometimes too good at it because then he would find the completion that wasn't the good play. So finding not only the completion, but then being able to set that up. There are a couple of really great examples to KJ Osborne that converted and moved the chains that were fairly routine throws, but because they were on time, because they were in stride um, and because they were accurately placed where they were supposed to be. Nobody's eyes are popping out of their head on a seven yard throw, but because it was so perfect, it managed to set up KJ Osborne to go get more yards after the catch to fight, to do his thing. And then he gets credit for that part. Um, but it's like saying, ah, there was like a, a lot of yards after the catch. Ah, you know, 64 of those passing yards came on a screen and all that stuff is sort of quibbling over the proxy instead of just saying okay well yeah great throw all that stuff out let's let's forget the stat line then all right fair enough you know a couple of those touchdown you know one was a screen one was like a, a play action where where the corner was way out of position so it was a pretty easy throw you know there's that justin jefferson one okay so then let's not use the touchdowns as our foundation for the argument kirk cousins had a good game let's look at what he actually did and what he actually did was very clean and boringly good. Maybe that's the way to put it. It was like boringly good. And when you go back into the room and, and like this is where you kind of have to confront like what's your perspective here? For me, I like to think were I an assistant coach, if I were an intern in the Vikings and I were asked, hey, what did you think of this? You know, what would you say? What would be the productive thing to say? And for me, I would say, yeah, if I were like in that QB room, right? You're not going, good job, cousins, but you know, there was a lot of yak. So, you know, we're going to, you did okay. Like nobody's saying that, right? Um, they're saying, hey, good footwork. You got the ball out on time. You did everything you needed to do to facilitate this incredibly difficult offensive achievement. Kevin O'Connell's play designs, had their stake in it. The wide receivers had their stake in it. The offensive line had their stake in it. And rather than getting bogged down in a pie chart of credit, can we just acknowledge, hey, he did what he needed to do and set up his teammates to succeed. I mean, I've, I've cried a whole bunch on this show about elevating the, the players around you. Cousins elevated his wide receivers. His wide receivers had a great game and Cousins elevated them. 
Um, and so now you get, you know, this crazy game from KJ Osborne, 125 or whatever it was from uh, Justin Jefferson. It takes more than one guy to do this, you know, and playing point guard all day is I mean, like, there's no shame in that. Right. And this is on the on a higher level. This is the game manager argument. Right. And when I say game manager, that is not a derogatory term when it comes from me. Tom Brady was a game manager. Nobody is is call, saying that he was just like mid. <laughs> but game managers become this like this, you know, really scary word. Um, a game manager is somebody who is setting up their teammates to succeed. And the wide receivers may get more credit like nationally than Kirk Cousins will. Pretty sure Cousins himself is not going to care about that, nor will anybody on the Vikings. And that would not be to say that Cousins didn't have his influence on the game it just kind of manifested itself in stuff that looks that makes the wide receiver look more impressive and doesn't make Cousins look super impressive. And at the end of the day, that's not really anything you have to care about. Like, who cares? They may, came back from 33 points. When you hear game manager, you go, well, that's, you know, game manager is just going to do these, you know, super routine things. And, and you're never going to get the spectacular kinds of plays you need to, uh, you know, win shootout kinds of games. Uh, may I point you to you game manage your way into the greatest comeback of all time. Uh, that's quite a lot. <laughs> that's that worked. No notes. So that's why I'm going to say, yes, Kirk Cousins had a dope game. It was very clean. It was all good execution. It was a point guard game. That's what how Cousins describes himself. He says, I just want to be a point guard. I want to, you know, dish the ball out to the dudes that know what they're doing in space. Get the ball to Dalvin Cook quick so he can score on a screen, you know, get like execute that properly. Execute an angle route for KJ Osborne properly so that he can fight through contact and convert a third and nine. You know, get the ball. When Justin Jefferson runs a route like that, my job is to get the ball to him quickly enough where that all that razzle dazzle that he did is good and is use is actually like turns into the touchdown it's supposed to turn into. That's what Kirk Cousins did. And if he comes out and does that exact same thing every game, I don't think anybody's going to be complaining about it. Um, I also, I want to spend most of this talking about the defense. Um, I, I think I've got a better beat on what the defense did and how it was different. Um, and also, again, you know, circling back to some, some of the questions that people asked yesterday that I needed to watch the tape for. I have, and I have answers to them now. But first, let me tell you about my new favorite phone game. It's uh, Ultimate GM. If you are somebody, and I know you are, I know you are, especially if you're the kind of person that's going to listen to Lockdown Vikings in the offseason. If you're the kind of person that's thinking about draft picks and roster management and depth and cap space and all of that stuff, Ultimate GM is the phone game for you. It is... Uh, you have to you have to hire the right coaches. You have to facilitate trades and negotiate and all that stuff. And, and you're navigating all sorts of things with your own franchise in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is also completely free and playable offline. So you can sit there on, on airplane mode if you have to and do it. And Lockdown Vikings listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, in the game store. That's LOCKEDON in all caps. So make sure you check it out today. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app stores. That's ultimate-gm.com. Start your dynasty today. There are also a whole bunch of new podcasts that I'm super stoked on coming from Audible. This episode of Lockdown Vikings is brought to you by Audible. They also have a new podcast called The League, which is also available as a bonus episode on the Lockdown NFL podcast feed if you're subscribed to that. It's narrated by Super Bowl champion and... Uh, 
legendary trash talker Taylor Sherman and sports broadcaster and rising star Taylor Rooks. It's an eight-part docuseries about some of the most bizarre, inspirational, and unlikely stories connected to America's favorite sport, pro football. Untold stories going from 1940s all the way through the present. And our bonus episode is called The Way of the Cowboy, and it's the story about the 1977 Dallas Cowboys who unfortunately eliminated the Vikings in the NFC Championship, although they were pretty old by then. I was like the, the swan song of the Purple People Eaters. Head on over to Locked On NFL for a bonus episode of The League or catch the full series wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Available now. Audible. Get in the game. Thanks so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today, covering all the biggest stories, headlines, games from the wide world of sports. Let's talk about Ed Donatell's defense. They had a better game. Now, I went over in the uh, the recap show and on the Minnesota football party and stuff, I've gone over the um, field position point about this game against the Colts. And essentially, if the Colts did not have a short field, if they weren't set up at midfield or just given a touchdown directly by like a pick six or whatever, then the Colts kind of couldn't drive down the field. They had one drive that started behind the 30 that scored in the whole game. Um, everything else was a short field. So if you could keep them behind the 30 with their uh, original field position, uh, keep in mind the 40, honestly, I think there were like two, two drives that started at like the 36 that got a field goal. But if you could keep them in reasonable field position, they basically stopped them. And the way that this worked, there are a couple of things that the Vikings did that I found very interesting. One was the really limited Jordan Hicks. Um, to my knowledge, there is no injury or illness reason to have done that, and they have been phasing Jordan Hicks slowly out of the rotation and bringing in Brian Asamoa or other personnel packages. But it is very clear to me that Ed Donatel is experimenting, that he is he is trying stuff that they haven't really done this year and folding in new ideas. And to me, this looks like a team that is looking toward it, its playoff game and trying to use these last few games to get extra prepared for it. Whether they are the two seed or the three seed, which are the two by far most likely outcomes right now, um, I think is going to be less important than are they ready to play NFL caliber defense <laughs> against whoever comes to U.S. Bank Stadium on uh, the weekend of January 14th or 15th. That is, I think, a more pressing problem to solve, I think for sure, right? Um, some of the experiments that they have been trying are, um, so they ran a ton of cover one in this one, ton of man coverage. A lot of you asked me about that, said, hey, did they run a lot of man coverage in this one? And I kind of said, I think so, but I had to check on it. I checked on it. Yes, they ran cover one more than half the time. Uh, that's a really insane clip to run cover one. That's like a lot. And it's a huge departure from the entire rest of the season. If you want to know, did Ed Donatel make a change in the defense because the defense was doing bad? There it is. There's the change to the defense. They ran a ton of cover one and it was covered uh, in the game. In the, the broadcast before the game, Tom Pelissero reported that they were going to do this. Patrick Peterson played the boundary side of the field, the short side of the field, because that's the side of the field where throws are quicker, right? They have less distance to travel because it's not as wide of a side of the field. Um, so it's a little harder to play over there, a little easier to play over on Duke Shelley's side. That was indeed the case. Um, and that's how they ran that much cover one. When you're in cover one, you can do all sorts of wacky things. You can play robber, where a safety comes down and tries to intercept something. You can play lurk, which is kind of the same zone, but a linebacker does it. You can play cross, 
where which is kind of the same thing as lurk except if there's a shallow crosser instead of having somebody have to chase that all the way across the field the linebacker will pick it up or a safety will pick it up and the linebacker will back off and become a lurk defender there's all sorts of things there's cover one dog which is the word that i use uh that i that i understand is used um when there's a blitz and certain pressures have different names there's all sorts of different variants of cover one but really it is man-to-man coverage that's what cover one is one deep safety man-to-man across the board four guys rushing a fifth if you want it or that guy backs off and does some weird zone stuff if you want it it's very versatile it's very helpful but your corners have to hang on and they did duke shelley in particular uh hung on he did well on the field side and patrick peterson did well on the boundary side they beat like alec pearson whoever go vikings they did it part of that too was being in penny fronts which is kind of how they got Jordan Hicks off the field a lot of the time. A penny front is your five down lineman, like it's base, one linebacker instead of two linebackers, uh, which is their true base is five down linemen. And I'm counting like Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith as a down lineman, even though they're technically listed as outside linebackers. Um, but, you know, Zadarius Smith, Daniel Hunter, Dalvin Tomlinson, Harrison Phillips, and then uh, it would be like James Lynch this time uh, or Kyrie's Tonga, Jonathan Bullard when he's healthy. You know, one of those. So there's your five, and then you'd have Hicks and Kendricks. Take Hicks off, put Chandon Sullivan on, but don't take a defensive lineman off. That was their nickel. They would do like a, a penny thing with nickel in the secondary, and that's different. They hadn't done much of that at all going up into this season. So penny, cover one. That is the state of a Fangio defense that it like wants to live in. Like that's kind of the end goal is to be able to do that and, and play defense that way. And I think the Colts game is a great example of why Fangio defenses want to live that way if they can trust their corners on the outside enough to do it. They also did a lot of Azamoa. I've got a Patreon video coming up on him. I'm not quite done like evaluating, but on the first glance, it looked pretty good to me, uh, but we'll see. So I don't know. Tune into that again, patreon.com slash NFL. Um, but those were the big deals with with Donatel's defense. The penny stuff is super interesting and I'm pretty curious to see how it works out. Um, but I do also have a couple of other little questions that I wanted to circle back to with like Christian Darris on Duke Shelley and stuff. Um, so we'll get into that. First things first, this episode is brought to you by total wine and more this holiday. Find what you love at total wine and more with so many great bottles to choose from. It's easy to find a new single barrel bourbon or perfect gifts for everyone on your list with some help from a friendly guide as well. And with all the confidence of knowing you found something special for the lowest price. So love what you find at total wine and more curbside pickup and delivery are available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia or North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. A couple of wrap-up notes here. Um, some things that I promised you that I would circle back to, and if you didn't catch that, go listen to yesterday's episode, Mailbag as well. Um, somebody asked, hey, how'd Christian Darasaw do? I didn't notice him. Uh, yep. Dominant. Like, holy crap. <laughs> Christian Darasaw is absolutely insane he's a genuine pleasure to watch um you definitely didn't notice him because he was very boringly shutting guys down and the attention was very easy to find focus elsewhere which you know great for an offensive lineman that's the goal uh but he's very difficult to move the hands are very heavy a whole bunch of those moments there was one highlighted on the pat mcafee show where he gets all the way out it was on um 
I think a toss play, the big long, I think the, uh, the first big long gain in the first quarter that like the fumble came right after that, that one big, like 40 yard gain or whatever it was. I think Christian Darius, I think it was that play. Christian Darius goes out, finds Stefan Gilmore in space and just throws him out of the club. Just like hands totally off the frame. From the other angle, it doesn't quite look as good. It's it's like especially funny because of like a timing of when he goes off the frame. But, uh, you know, just punishing that dude. Um, standing up to really gnarly bull rushes from somebody like Afadio Denebo, who we know is a very strong pass rusher. That's like his strength is kind of his deal, his big, strong bull rush. He got a lot of sacks here this way or that way. Um, yeah, really good stuff from Darasaw. I saw one time where he got beat by DeForest Buckner and it indirectly led to a sack. That's the only one I didn't like. There was one rep I really, really liked. I sort of mentioned it yesterday uh, where Unique Ngakwe was sort of waiting and sort of trying to tee up something. And when you go up against the same tackle all day, that's what you kind of do. You you find a tendency and then you say, okay, I've established, you establish a tendency and then you say, I'm going to break this tendency on the biggest third down I can find. And it was a third and goal from the one um, touchdown to Adam Thielen. And if you go watch that play, watch Unique Ngakwe, he flashes to the inside of uh, Christian Darasaw, who had been setting very wide into Ngakwe all day, and he was kind of waiting for his moment to like go punish that. And Darasaw recovered and actually took him further to the inside and managed to save the rep, even though Ngakwe kind of busted out that trick that he was kind of waiting all day to do. That's the kind of thing that you know separates the men from the boys, as it were, that, that recovery when they get you, you know, and eventually they will get you but being able to push him inside. Uh, very good stuff. Also, a lot of people asked about Duke Shelley. Um, really nice game from, from Duke Shelley. Being on the field side, very helpful, right? Gives him just that much more of a second to react when he gets thrown at. Um, it certainly wasn't perfect. There were certainly moments where he would get beaten, give up separation, whether the ball came that way or not. But I think what I really liked the most about him is how he played in off coverage. How when things tried to break underneath him, he was very, very aggressively jumping on them. And they actually did try to get him with a double move a couple of times, but because he was on the field side, if he did bite, he had the time to turn around and recover. Um, and, you know, that extra split second that the ball takes to get there because it's just that much further away was what it took for him to get into position. And also, a lot of those throws were bad because Matt Ryan doesn't have that anymore. Um, that's at least the way it looked to me. So that was also very nice. Um, pretty happy with Duke Shelley on the whole, at least in this game. Um, I want to see more than just one. If he can just be a corner, if you if he can be a starting quality corner, which that was a starting quality game from Duke Shelley, bar none. One starting quality game in the books, that rocks. His first starting quality game, I think the rest of the play we've seen from Duke Shelley has been, you know, depth quality, uh, which he's depth, so that's great. Um but if we want to start talking about, you know, what's does is he coming back next year? And so, I mean, he should come back to camp next year, absolutely. But you know, what what what's the role? And we want to start talking about that. Um, I want to see him string more games like this together. And if he can string more games like this together, then that is really exciting. That means we may have found a little bit of a diamond in the rough here. Um, but let's see that, you know, keep up a little bit. Um, I should also mention um, some news at the end of the show here. Garrett Bradbury got in a little bit of a fender bender and tweaked the back injury that has kept him out for the last couple of weeks. It's been listed as a neck injury before, too. So I'm a little bit worried about the uh, longevity of that injury. But we don't know anything about what the injury is, if it's muscle, if it's bone, if it's spine, if it's tendon, if it's anything. 
So um, we kind of just have to sit and wait and see, but it seems pretty likely that we get Austin Schlotman against Dexter Lawrence and the Giants. So, you know, prepare yourself emotionally for that. Tomorrow, we are crossing over with Patricia Trena of Locked on Giants. And then, of course, we're going to do our bold predictions and stuff. Bold predictions are coming out today, by the way, Wednesday, because I'm on a holiday travel schedule, so I've got to record that one early. So get your bold predictions in. You should probably be able to see the tweet on my Twitter right now as you are listening to this, as long as you're not listening to this in like the middle of the night. But um, very likely that you can go get your bold predictions in there. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull.